Hello and welcome to Craft Path, a production of Harvest Insights, where we explore the art and science of perfecting one's craft. We meet with the makers and advisors of products and services in the food and beverage world and beyond, and those noted and respected for their trade. I'm your host, Mark Juhas, on this journey of discovery. Let's get exploring together on Craft Path. Welcome back to another episode of Craft Path. And this week, we have a great conversation with Nathan Flim, who's the co-founder and owner of the Fort Distillery in Fort Saskatchewan, Alberta, who's originally from uh, Ontario. Nathan founded the Fort Distillery in 2018 with their values of fun, relationships, integrity, and growth. We have a good conversation learning about how Nathan got uh, the Fort Distillery up and going. And he's got an interesting background in chemistry and business, and then also worked as a crop advisor. So he got up close with the farmers and learning about their crops and I imagine barley and the things that go into good uh, distilling. So we uh, we learn as well about um, where the spirits sector and craft distilling is evolving in Alberta and Western Canada. We talk a little bit about the challenges of interprovincial trade in, in beverage alcohol and spirits and some of his successes and the traction he's getting in the United States, which I think is really interesting as well. We learn about their different beverages. They have a whiskey called Mountain Pass that has a really interesting story about it and how that was inspired. Some of the gins and the rums that they've done and also really the uh, the uniqueness of their ready-to-drink spirit-forward cocktail mixes that they have that I've had a chance to try when I met Nathan uh, last year in Montreal at the Seattle Food and Trade Show. So it's really an eye-opening conversation about the opportunity of craft distilling in Canada, the long traditions of that. You know, we can think of all the major uh, spirit brands in Canada, like Crown Royal or Canadian Club, the Gooderman Distillery District here in Toronto. And we learn about the uh, Alberta Craft Distillers Association, the Canadian Craft Distillers Association, and some of their uh, successes that the Fort uh, Distillery and Nathan have had in working with some major partners like the Edmonton Oilers. So let's tune in to the conversation and uh, hope you enjoy it. Hi, Nathan. Uh, welcome to Craft Path. Uh, we have with us Nathan Flim, the founder of the Fort Distillery. So, um, yeah. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Great to be here. Yeah. So uh, I had a chance to meet Nathan at last year's Seattle Food and uh, Trade Show in Montreal. And um, I was walking around the Alberta Pavilion there uh, and I had a chance to chat with you, Nathan, and and try some of the different samples that you had there. Um, So I'm really interested in learning about how you and your team got the distillery off off and going. But maybe if you could, for our listeners, uh, Nathan, a little bit about your, your background as much as you'd like to share that. Yeah. Um, that got you to where where we are today, where you're you're running this uh, distillery in uh, in Alberta. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my background is actually in the sciences and specifically in chemistry. Um, so when I uh, graduated high school, I went to university here in Edmonton uh, at the King's University, and I studied chemistry. So I have a chemistry degree. Um, but I've always had an entrepreneurial drive, you know, selling raspberries that we grew in my parents' garden, that kind of thing, right? Like just always trying to sell something and there was always like a scheme. Um, and so I've always known that I wanted to get into business. And so during my time at university, you know, all of my electives I would fill with business courses. And it was kind of in year three, I was like, man, I probably should have taken business. But at that point, I, you know, I was three years in. So I was like, I'll stick with chemistry, you know, finish it. Um, and then after I graduated with my chemistry degree, 
I ended up working for the Alberta government as a crop inspector. And okay. so driving around and, you know, checking on wildlife damage, hail damage, and, uh, and uh, you know, everything else that can damage crops here in Alberta. So that's kind of my background. And then, but in, in the back of my mind, you know, I was always trying to figure out, hey, I, I know I want to do something in business. What should that be? Right. And I would have, you know, lots of ideas, but it always kind of came down to, is this something that I would want to, you know, quit my stable government job and run full time? Right. Yes. For example, a, a coffee shop. Right. We were like, oh, maybe we should open a coffee shop here in, in our city of Fort Saskatchewan. And then I thought, well, what, do I really care enough about coffee? Would I really quit my good job to go work at a, co- at a coffee shop full time? And I said, no, like it's just not for me. Right. Right. But then I was reading an article one day in a chemistry magazine, and there was an article about a bunch of chemists in Ontario who opened a distillery. And I thought, hey, I'm a chemist. I like booze. This seems like a pretty <laughs> sweet idea. <laughs> and uh, so that was that was really kind of the founding idea. We actually have that chemistry magazine framed up here at the distillery because that's sort of what, what sprouted that idea. So that probably would have been in 2017. And uh, so I traveled around Alberta at, at the time. Distilling in Alberta was very a very new industry, and so I traveled around and met with a couple other owners of distilleries, toured some distilleries, got some feedback from the owners. It's a great industry. Everybody's very you know willing to help. It's it's not um, you know when I would ask other distillery owners for advice, it's not like they you know shot me down. They were willing to chat, and so I kind of got a feel for the industry, for the people in the industry, and you know, ask, Hey, is this a good business? Are you making any money? Do you enjoy it? And and the feedback was generally positive. Distilling, you know, craft distilling only became legal in Alberta in 2014. And so by 2017, you know, there was a number of distilleries, but it wasn't a crowded market yet. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I was kind of doing my research. And then uh, my wife and I decided to, to take the leap and we we would have gotten our business license at the beginning of 2018 and then opened the doors to the distillery in September of 2018. And, uh, yeah, owning a distillery is something that fit my educational background, right? The chemistry, there's a lot yes, of chemistry yes, when it comes was, to distilling and blending. Yes. Um, if so it fit with that, it fit with my passion, right? I've always loved trying different gins and whiskeys and rums. Um, I've always been more of a, of a spirits guy versus beer and, uh, yeah, so it checked a lot of boxes. It was a great time in the industry. It's an exciting industry, a lot of growth potential. So it, uh, yeah, it seemed like a really good opportunity, and our timing was good. And so, yeah, 2018, we opened the Fort Distillery. My, uh, my wife and I. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. And yeah, I was I was going to say too, the chemistry I can see lends lens <laughs> to it, you know, and the timing and the the blending of the the flavors to create when you yeah. and the aging process, you know, the aging process as important probably as when you actually with um. With it, and so you had a chance as well to see some crops on the ground uh, in your job. Yeah. You, did you see barley or any of those? <laughs> oh yeah, so so that was kind of another piece of it, right? Is that I knew a lot of the local farmers, right? We grow a ton of barley, wheat, rye, all kinds of stuff here in Alberta. And so when we started out, you know, we were able to source uh, our grains from a local farmer that I knew very well, and like literally five minutes down the road. And so mm-hmm. we, you know, hop in the van, go over there, throw a bunch of bags of wheat in the van, bring it back to the distillery. And yeah, so that agriculture side um, was, was was definitely very helpful as well on uh, on startup for sure. Nice. And and you're originally from Ontario, and so how do you <laughs> feel like being in Alberta? You know, in Ontario, just the the, the spirit of the land there. You know, and just the difference of doing a business yeah. there and here. 
So, I mean, for liquor in particular, which is which is obviously my experience, Alberta is way better than Ontario. <laughs> so, so in in Canada, right, most provinces, uh, the the liquor side of things is run by the government, right? And so, in Ontario, you have the LCBO, yes. right? and so they can they control all the liquor buying, um, and it's a it's a very antiquated process. Um, it, it it just doesn't work very well at all. Um, you know, and, and everybody that works in liquor in the provinces knows that, but the governments make a ton of money off booze, and so they kind of keep it, it yeah. tightly held, right? Whereas in Alberta, we're really the only kind of fully open liquor market, and so you can register any product you want as long as it hits, you know, safety and the right yes. alcohol and stuff like that. But, yes. you know, I can, I can develop a product today, register it on the AGLC, which is our liquor board here on their website, and then be selling it within a week. Whereas in Ontario, it's much harder. And most provinces, not just, you know, I'm singling out yes. Ontario, yes, but yes. most provinces as well. Quebec is another tough one. Um, and so they all, most of them have programs for craft distilleries to, you know, to help them out. Um, but still, uh, there's nothing like Alberta and Canada anyways, um, where I can just, there's, all the liquor stores are privately owned, right? And so... I don't have to ask the government if I can bring my gin into the liquor stores. I just, I literally just go down the street, talk to the liquor store, say, Hey, you want my gin? They say, yes. Cool. I've got revenue. Um, Whereas in most provinces you have to go through the liquor board and they place an order and you have to hit certain sales numbers and working with the government is just generally tougher than working with businesses, right? Because in a business, you're talking one-on-one to a person, you know, there's, probably a thousand liquor stores in Alberta. So there's tons of opportunities. And so that's why you see in Alberta, I mean, we've got like probably 130 craft breweries and maybe like 80 distilleries, right? It's way more than any other province. And that's interesting. Yeah. And that's because our liquor is privatized here. And so anyone can open a liquor store and I can sell to any liquor store. Um, that's one of the reasons that most of our expansion has been into the U.S. Actually, is because getting into other provinces is is very challenging. Yeah, Canada. I remember. I remember. I I, uh, I have a, a sort of a, a list of questions, you know. But I think let's just go more naturally. So actually, we're we're getting right to it. So like, I think when we we met Nathan, you were saying about some of the challenges, and I've heard about this even before you mentioned it about the challenges of selling interprovincially, right? So mm-hmm. I think are you mm-hmm. you're selling in? Are you selling in BC or in Saskatchewan? Mm-hmm. Or yeah, so we're selling right now in BC, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. Um, BC and Manitoba were not listed with the um, the government liquor stores, but were available for private order. So okay. some provinces are kind of starting to get on board. So BC is one of them where they have their BC liquor stores, but they're also allowing some uh, private companies to start opening liquor stores. And so we're able to go into BC. We work with an agent there and he can go and sell to those private liquor stores. Now, the majority of the liquor in BC still flows through those government stores, And so, you know, every year we apply again saying, hey, you know, here's our volumes, here's what we're doing, you should let us in. Um, Same with Ontario, you know, we apply to get into Ontario as well. What makes it challenging for a a new company is that those liquor boards are, you know, they want revenue, right? And so they're looking for who's got the biggest marketing budget here, right? So if I go in and, and say to BC or Ontario, hey, you should take my cocktails, Tumblr and Rocks. And then our competitor, uh, you know, Beam Centauri, huge company, comes yes. in with their cocktails at the same time. 
the government is going to take our competitor because they have billions of dollars, right? They've got, you know, marketing spend like crazy, whereas I don't, right? And so it's a really unfair process uh, that makes it hard for the smaller companies. Mm -hmm. So we do, we have had some success in Saskatchewan. So we do have a, a a couple core listings there with the government. And then in BC and Manitoba, it's yeah more of that kind of that struggle. Like let's get into yeah. some private stores, and then the goal eventually would be okay. Enough of the private stores and restaurants are buying that we can go to the BC Liquor Board and say, hey, look, we're already moving, you know, X number of cases per week. So clearly this brand works. And mm-hmm. Clearly there's demand for it. You know, you should you should put it on your shelves. What what about Quebec? How's Quebec? Is that is on a whole? Other Quebec way? is another another really hard one. So we right. I, 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 SAQ I, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I looked into it a little bit after the Seattle show and right. um, it just is, it just isn't worth the time, right? Like right. Quebec would be a great market. It's huge, but yes. I can go to New York and right. find a distributor and say, Hey, do you want my product? He says, yes, here you go. Done. Right. Whereas to get yeah, to do SAQ, uh, you know, you've got months and months and you've got to propose and then good chance they reject you anyways, because mm. you're a, a smaller company. Right. So um, that is why a lot of our, our expansion efforts have been focused on the U.S. because we can just work with businesses, right? We can yeah. talk, talk to a distributor and, and if they like our product, they buy it and they sell it and, and everybody's happy. That's that's super interesting. Um, yeah. I think when I was at the airport in Edmonton, actually, after I was coming back from my, my uh, hunting trip out there, that mm-hmm. I, I saw your I saw the mountain pass in the airport at one mm-hmm. of the, the shops there. Yeah, yeah, flight of wine. They carry our uh, yeah. Mountain Pass whiskey. Yeah, yeah, yeah right on. Um, Nathan, a little bit about the actual brand of the Fort Distillery. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love history as well, like Fort Saskatchewan. Could you share with us a little bit about the vibe of? You know, it's a great website. I'll, I'll, I'll add it in the show notes. Um, you know, when I post everything up, but just a little bit about sort of the the creative thinking that went into kind of the the spirit, what you want of your spirits, <laughs> mm-hmm. what you wanted mm-hmm. to do, and the fort, you know, and and what's what's there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it definitely um, has evolved over time for sure. So when we started out, I mean, so my, first off, my wife and I live in Fort Saskatchewan. Uh, we really love it here. It's a small city of about 30,000 people right outside of Edmonton, Alberta, and it has a really good tight business community. There's a lot of community events, and we had always noticed a lot of businesses taking part, and we really liked that and wanted to be a part of it. So, um, you know, we were we were happy to open up here. When we launched, we started with vodka and gin. Um, most craft distilleries do that. It's you, There's no aging process. They're relatively easy to make. And so that was our first couple products. And at the time, we also had a cocktail lounge. So you could come in, you could have a cocktail. Um, there's a yeah, there's a restaurant right beside us. And so you could order food from that restaurant. They would bring it over. And that was um, that was a, a huge, that, that really kept us going for the first probably six to 12 months was that cocktail lounge, right? People coming in, drinking cocktails, having some food. Um, that was that was really key for us in the first six to 12 months. So yeah, we started with vodka and gin. Um, then we started developing a couple liqueurs. At the end of the first year would have been 20, yeah, so 2020 is when we would have put down our first whiskey that we started making. So um, mainly a malt barley whiskey. And so we were making about a barrel a month at that mm-hmm. time. Um, and again, whiskey's tough as a, as a new company, right? Because it, in Canada, it has to age for at least three years. Oh, and so you're, okay. you're putting in, you know, all these funds to make it, but you're not going to see that return for right. a few years. So right. that's why it often takes a while, right? You start with vodkas, gins, liqueurs, and then you, you kind of, once you have some revenue, then you get to the whiskey. 
And um, yeah, so those were our first products. And then in 2020 is when we launched Tumblr and Rocks. And so Tumblr and Rocks is a brand of ready-to-serve spirit-forward cocktails. So it would be, you know, a bottled old-fashioned or a margarita, a Cosmo. And um, all the alcohol in the mix is in is right in the product. You just pour it over ice and, and you're good to go. So we launched that in 2020. And the, you know, the kind of thinking behind that was that we wanted it to be, we wanted to make it easy for people to enjoy a cocktail, right? Um, we love cocktails here at the distillery, but when I would get home from work, instead yes. of having a cocktail, I'd have a beer because it's easy, yes. right? And I was like, hey, I, I own a distillery. We should fix this problem, right? Yeah, We've made it easy to enjoy cocktails. And there's not, a, there wasn't anyways, when we started, there wasn't a ton of competition in that spirit forward cocktail space. And so that's when we launched Tumblr and Rocks in 2020. And it pretty much right away eclipsed everything else we were doing. Um, yeah. It, it definitely became our core focus. And we started doing really well with it in Alberta. We started getting interest from the US and some other provinces. And so in 2021 is when we started our expansion into the US. And again, kind of for those reasons we were talking about earlier, right? It's it's a heck of a lot easier to to work in the U.S. with liquor mm. than in Canada. So started expanding over there, and um, yeah, Tumblr and Rocks definitely became the the core focus. And then we launched our Mountain Pass whiskey in 2022 at the beginning of 2022, uh, and that brand started taking off for us as well. So those have become our core two brands: Tumblr and Rocks and Mountain Pass. A lot of the stuff that we started producing at the at the very beginning, we've actually kind of phased out. Um, it, you know, it's it's always a a, a sacrifice, a tough mm-hmm. situation as as a brand grows. Yeah, um, you kind of have to start cutting the old stuff that was maybe you know exciting and cool. But you know, if you're selling tens of thousands of bottles of Tumbler on Rocks and a hundred yeah. bottles of some specialty gin. At some point, it just doesn't make sense to make that gin anymore, right? So we definitely have started to focus more on our core two brands being Tumblr and Rocks and uh, Mountain Pass Whiskey. So that that being said, I've actually checked out the website. So so Nathan, you've got these really interesting ones, Prairie Gold, Heartwood, Canadian Boreal Gin, Two Bean Brew. Mm-hmm. Are these, these are the ones that are, you know, I, I know. So are you saying some of those, um, maybe if uh, they haven't um, sold as well or you're, you still have them or is that... Yeah, so those ones, so if it's on the website, we still have it, but we're possibly on some of them slowing down production or phasing it out. So Prairie Gold Vodka, um, that one's actually going to be phased out here right away. Vodka's really tough, right? It's a huge market dominated Mm. by a couple major players. And unless you're like really into vodka, you probably don't really care about craft vodka. Um, Mm. And so that one's getting phased out. The Boreal Gin and the Two Bean Brew, uh, those ones are a little bit, tougher because they they sell better so what we might do with some of those more niche products is instead of having it as a permanent product all year round it might be okay we make a thousand bottles or something in november for christmas right so we still have boreal gin but it's more of a seasonal launch instead of a permanent release or a permanent launch yeah Interesting, yeah, yeah, and it, this is—it's interesting as well. I imagine for for you and, and the team as well, what you what you think, and I, I would imagine as as somebody who's you know appreciates the craft of things, what you aspire, and then what also what the market says are sometimes are different things, right? Yeah, I mean, we—I think a lot of distilleries uh, open up with this super craft focus uh, because we like cool stuff, right? And mm-hmm. And we hear all this talk on the news of, oh, support local, support local. Um, but it doesn't always translate to 
people actually putting their money where their mouth is, right? And so there's often a disconnect, yeah, between what what we maybe want to create or what would be cool and what actually sells, right? So, I mean, you could, you know, you could make an awesome vodka, like our Prairie Gold Vodka, you know, we spent a lot of time on it, has a great recipe, but we hardly sell any, right? So you have to at some point make a business decision, right? Um, Another problem that we want to run into when we're focusing on kind of the local craft is that it's, it's very hard to expand. So we were back before Tumblr and Rocks, you know, we were selling our products in Edmonton, uh, the Edmonton, you know, region. Yes, yes. And then I thought, hey, let's start expanding into Calgary, right? The other large city in Alberta. And we struggled there because when I would go to a store and say, hey, you know, we've got vodka and gin from Fort Saskatchewan, they'd say, well, we have our own Calgary vodka and gin, so why do I need your stuff from Fort Saskatchewan, right? You almost get this like hyper-local loyalty, which is great on the one hand, but on the other hand, it makes it really hard to expand, right? Because when I go to Calgary with an We'll call it an Edmonton vodka. They say, "Wow, we have Calgary vodka, right? So why, why do we need your Edmonton stuff, right?" And so it, it makes it really hard to expand. And so that's why when we launched Tumblr and Rocks, you know, we didn't call them Fort Distillery Cocktails. We came up with a whole new brand name, um, still on the back of the bottle. You know, it says produced at the Fort Distillery, but we wanted to grow this brand to be a global brand, right? And so if it's mm-hmm. really tied to one spot, yeah, that's impossible to do right so we've started to focus more on brands versus saying hey we're this really local distillery in fort saskatchewan because that if that's what you want like you know some people want to own fort saskatchewan's distillery and that's cool but that's not what we want right we want a a large business that's you know that's distributing across north america and and potentially the world so mountain pass too right it's not fort distillery whiskey it's Mm -hmm. mountain pass as its own identity so those are our conscious business decisions that we make for sure. So um, it does, does the, the team still be involved? Cause on your website you, that you're at different um, farmers markets and things mm-hmm. like that. Is that still a, a part of what you do in, in yeah. the Edmonton area? Yeah. Yeah. So we are still in uh, a number of permanent farmers markets. So year round farmers markets. And then in the summer, you know, we add a couple farmers markets here in Fort Saskatchewan, St. Albert, um, Edmonton. Yeah. So it's definitely less, now of what we do right back in the first couple of years, yes. farmers markets made up a, a big chunk of our sales. Then we were in as many as we could get into. And now yes. we are, we're a bit more picky, right? We're like, well, you know, at this point, it's not necessarily worth it for us to go to some of the smaller markets, but the large markets, we still want to be seen in the community. And, you know, the Edmonton region is still where uh, a large chunk of our sales come from. So we, uh, we're still involved in that, in that market scene. Yes. What would you say, Nathan, and just like in a, in a time capsule sort of experience of it, what was, what was it that helped you from those, those on the ground, like face-to-face meetings with, you know, your people who are trying your, your spirits, like how does it, how did it help to fine tune what you and the team were doing? Um, I mean, the, the great thing about being, uh, like a locally owned company is that we're very flexible. Right. And so, you know, we were able to take, especially, you know, if we were at those markets or talking to liquor stores, you know, I was able to take their feedback and actually make changes almost in real time. Right. We can't do that anymore because we have a, a, 
a, a more well-known brand, so I can't go changing recipes willy-nilly. But mm-hmm. definitely in the first couple of years, you know, we would we would put out a product and we would have tested it and liked it, obviously. But then we put it out into the world and and we get the feedback from liquor stores and farmers market people. And, you know, maybe they say, oh, you know, we get overwhelming feedback. Oh, it's too sweet or something like that. Okay, right. And so okay. we can pretty easily take that feedback and, and go make yeah, real time changes to, to meet that customer demand. And so, yeah, those markets and, and talking to customers is really important, especially when launching a new product. Right. To get that kind of direct yeah customer feedback for sure and in about the states in the united states it's fascinating mm-hmm. because it is such a, a big massive massive market i mean like i think the state of california is canada's whole population is yeah similar to the, to US, right? i get what is the u.s maybe like 330 yeah, million now or so yeah like 10, 10 times yeah. as big so you what's your where are you getting some traction in this in the the u.s which state and how mm-hmm. are you sort of getting your brand out there are you working with partners there who do the do the legwork for you or you or you also have to do a little bit of market work there so how does it kind of yeah a little bit how that's working Mm -hmm. yeah definitely so um so the u.s is is uh yeah obviously a a huge market but most states uh have a distributorship model for liquor and so uh, i'll use connecticut connecticut is our our best state right now and so uh, most of our focus is in the new england uh, Interesting. Okay. Area. So, yeah. so just using Connecticut, it's a distributorship. So there's a whole bunch of distributors in Connecticut that are licensed to sell liquor. So they can sell to liquor stores, restaurants. In uh, the state of Connecticut. Stuff. In the state of Connecticut. Okay. Yeah. And so we go to them. We have an importer that does all of our kind of compliance work. And then we go and we, we talk to all these distributors and we find one that we think would work well uh, with us. And they think we would work well with them and uh, we make a, a deal. And so then that distributor starts to purchase our products. We ship it down to them and then they sell it out to the liquor store. So they do all the distribution work. They would have a sales team that, that does sales, but we are still involved because most distributors have a pretty big portfolio, right? They might have a hundred brands. They might have a thousand brands. And so while they are selling uh, and distributing your product, They've got a whole book of, of other things to sell too, right? So uh, we definitely do, we are definitely involved in the sales process as well. So myself or uh, my VP of sales will go down and visit each distributor. Usually quarterly is, okay. is kind of our, is what yeah. we do. And we'll, we'll ride around with their sales reps and we will go in and talk to the liquor stores and, you know, see if they need anything, if they want to buy, if they need a display. We also have uh, some employees in the U S that are tasting representatives. And so they'll go around and do liquor tastings at liquor stores that carry our products. Um, And then in terms of other marketing, you know, we are, we do some digital marketing, we'll do events. So we're doing a, a launch of a new size product in Connecticut in May and so we're going to be planning some events some dinners some giveaways. I'll go down for a week and, and help them push it down there. Um, so that's sort of how we work in the U.S. in terms of where we are. Like I said, mostly in that sort of New England area. So we're in Connecticut, yeah. Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine. Uh, we're a little bit in New York. And then in the Midwest, we are in Wisconsin. That's another area that we have some traction. And we're working on that getting into Illinois as well. So trying to stay focused on on those areas and you're right it's yes. it's a huge market and so you know we're staying away from california right now because it's like we it's too big right so um it, it's on the list of, of places we would obviously love to be but we have to be strategic about it and yes and not oversell ourselves right and uh, make sure that we can continue to supply all of our current customers 
without overloading ourselves on uh, on new states or new customers. And so I, all these good developments have meant, I'm guessing, uh, more capacity requirements at your facility in, in Fort Saskatchewan, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So when we started, we had one uh, 2,500 square foot bay here. Uh, we've since taken over one other bay of that size and then another half bay. So we're at around 6,500 square feet right now. Right. Um, yeah. Nathan, could you tell a bit about how you learned about distilling? Like you did chemistry, you said you did business and and did you take courses or hire, uh, bring on some um, uh, distillers or, you know, um, you know, because it's and there's an art to it, right? There's an art mm-hmm. to it that can take lifetimes, right? And I mean, mm-hmm. if you think about all the the, the the spirits in different parts of the world that have you know great traditions for literally hundreds of years. Um, how how did that look like? You're actually learning to be yeah. a distiller as an, as the art of it, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. So it was definitely um, <laughs> it was definitely like a learn as you go type of situation uh, when I started. So back at that time. Because distilling was such a new industry, there was there really wasn't a lot of training that you could do unless you went to Scotland. There's like there were some you know distilling courses over in Europe, but there wasn't a whole heck of a lot going on here uh, in Canada, and definitely nothing in Alberta. And at that time, too, most distilleries were too small to need to hire a distiller, right? So it was hard to even get a job somewhere to learn. Okay. Um, and I also had a full-time job to, to support the family. So uh, for me, learning was definitely hands-on. I mean, I had the chemistry, which helped. There's a lot of information on the internet, forums, yes. and some books and stuff like that that I was able to read. And then I did develop a mentorship relationship with another distillery here in Alberta. And uh, so I went there a couple times, and he kind of showed me how his still ran and, and taught me a lot. And I would, you know, I'd be doing a, a distillation, and I'd text him and be like, what the heck is happening? Like, yeah. you know, help me up, man. So there yeah. was definitely a, a lot of a lot of learning that went into it for sure. Now um, there are distilling courses. So here in Alberta, Olds College has a distilling course. Okay, you can actually go and, and learn, and they have an internship where you go work at a distillery, which we've actually done. We've had you know interns from that program come here. And uh, so it's, it's a bit easier now to learn the art of distilling, but yeah, back then it was, it was definitely just a lot of trial and error and, you know, do a run and does it taste good and what can I change for the next run? And, you know, using the, the chemistry background was helpful because I knew how to take good notes and, and change parts of the process. Yes. And, okay. Uh, that's, that's how it went. And then in, I guess it would have been probably 2019 or early 2020, I hired a, uh, another distiller. And so she also has a chemistry degree. And so she is our head distiller now. And so I was able to kind of teach her and then she took it to the next level because she was able to, you know, I was, I was focused on distilling, but also on everything else in the business. Right. So she was able to just come in and, and just do the, dis, the distillation and the production. And so she's definitely at this point, a way better distiller than I am. Like I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I don't even know how to turn on our stills anymore, but um, so she, I was able to teach her and, and she's now kind of taken the reins on the production right, side. Right on. Um, a friend of mine and I, we, we just purchased a beer, our beer brewing kit. So we're going to mm, give nice. a shot at it, but actually yeah, yeah. The, the place here in Toronto, it's called Toronto uh, Brewing Supplies, but they also have, 
the materials you can get for for distilling and like micro distilling is sort of like giving, yeah, yeah. It, giving it a go but i've yeah. seen some of those old pictures you know like from scotland some of those copper stills and it's just actually mm-hmm. the, the buildings are sometimes amazing themselves you yeah. know like oh, yeah. and those aged age and then you know i i've seen the videos on your uh, website of the as it still it goes up those little windows right and little yeah off the columns yeah yeah the columns yeah 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 no it's, it's definitely quite the process definitely a, a mixture of science and art right there is a lot of you know temperature control and, and different valves that are open and closed but every run is a little bit different and a lot of it is by taste right um and so you you know you try a little bit you smell it you taste it and okay we need to change this and definitely especially with distilling whiskey and you know separating like the good parts from the bad parts you know is, is all done by taste so julia who's our, our head distiller would be you know tasting and smelling and saying mm-hmm. okay we're we're into the hearts we're into the good stuff let's start collecting it and yeah so it's a it's a unique blend of science and art for sure right on uh, is is there um i know here in ontario we have the ontario craft brewers association mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. in alberta because i a friend of mine in alberta actually makes beer is there a craft distillers association or in canada is in, in alberta is there yeah, yeah there's one in both so in, okay. in alberta we have the alberta craft distillers association and then i can't remember what the canadian one is called but there's a, a there's a canadian one as, as well and and um kind of the the main purpose of those is a lot of lobbying right so right. there's a lot of kind of unfair rules right now that brewers, you know, get, but distillers don't because we're a newer industry. And so those associations are kind of trying to say, Hey, governments like distilling is a big industry. Now we're going to hire a lot of people. So, you know, help us out on the taxes and, and that kind of stuff. Right. So, um, there's less distillers than there are brewers, but we're, we're kind of getting there and, and those organizations, yeah, spend a lot of time lobbying the, the government. One of the big things that that the Canadian one is working on right now is the excise taxes. So in the U S they um, dropped the excise tax, which is just like a, a liquor tax, right? They dropped that tax on your first, I think it's hundred thousand gallons of production to really help out those uh, craft distillers, right. To pay less taxes on the first, on the first large chunk that they distill. Uh, and Canada has not done that. And so we're paying about seven to eight times the amount of tax here than distillers are in the u.s which makes it tough to compete uh, with them right and so that's one of the kind of the big pushes yeah. that that our association is, is going for but um yeah i think most provinces probably have have an association of, of distillers and then there is a canadian one as well uh do you is there any perspective you might have nathan it seems like oh, well not definitely it feels you know you guys are growing and we're amazing and it's inspiring that there's kind of you know the expression like valley of death or the gauntlet you know the trial by fire that that maybe some craft distillers or craft wine or craft beer whatever that they they go through and some just don't make it past year one or two or three that that something happens they they managerial challenges or or financial challenges that you feel that you've come through with the team that that uh that uh you know some don't oh yeah yeah definitely i mean i um the the nice thing about the alberta government anyways is is that they have made it easy to do business here which is great but that also has made it very easy to open a distillery and a brewery there's yeah, I mean, there's obviously still regulations and stuff, but compared to other provinces, the process is a lot more straightforward. And so, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of distilleries and breweries that open up and just don't make it. Um, you know, there's 
I don't know what the the number one reason is, but there's a lot of reasons, right? Funding, um, branding. I mean, if you don't create a brand that really takes off, it, it right. it's tough, right? Like if we hadn't if we hadn't come out with Tumblr and Rocks, I, you know, I don't know if we be here we definitely wouldn't be as big um and we might not be here at all anymore i, I don't know right so um i i think there is a lot of there's a lot of chance involved a lot of risk right i mean yeah if you if you put together a brand that you think is great but nobody buys um you know a lot of money goes into developing each new brand and each new label yes and making that product right and so yeah, if it, if it doesn't take off that, um, yeah, that would be a big, a big hoop to, to jump through. Right. I mean, we've come through that with Tumblr rocks and with mountain pass and okay, they work and the brand works and people buy it. So, you know, we've kind of crossed that hurdle, if you will. Yeah. Um, here's a, a question that, well, first one, let me ask is about COVID and, and the COVID experience, because I found that, uh, more in the, the restaurants here in Toronto, especially that, that COVID mm-hmm. really put to the test a lot of um, restaurants that survived or didn't survive. Either mm-hmm. they were able to go to takeout and and delivery with you know Uber Eats like, or, or if oh, you yeah, or, you know, food, yeah or that's right. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Any any of those those and and some of them did really well and even thrived. And then others mm-hmm. they they couldn't or they couldn't keep their staff. And so so I wonder if, what was the COVID experience because you know some of these dates you're mentioning in 2020 you know, that was when it hit hard. Mm-hmm. How was yeah. it for you guys uh, during, the, you know, it was, the, yeah. it, was uh, it was kind of the opposite really for distilleries. COVID was kind of a, a boom time for us. Um, liquor sales were up across the board everywhere. Um, even talking to our distributors in the U S I mean, they're the two years of COVID were their best years ever hitting record numbers, right? Cause everybody's at home drinking, right? <laughs> yeah, you, right. drink more, you know, you drink more at home than you do at, at the bar, right? Cause it's cheaper, right? You go to the bar and, and a drink costs you 15 bucks. If you're drinking at home, a drink costs you two bucks, right? So yeah. um, the other thing that that a lot of distilleries, including us, were able to do is make hand sanitizer. And so for oh. the first, yeah, for about the first six months of COVID, we were incredibly busy making hand sanitizer because wow. we have ethanol. And uh, the government relaxed the laws, you know, kind of as an emergency measure. Hey, but there wasn't enough hand sanitizer. And so we were even selling to big clients like Shell and Dow. And a lot of the industry here was buying our hand sanitizer in bulk. And so that was a, a cash flow boom for us. And then, yeah, liquor store sales were kind of through the roof during COVID. So at first I was, I was scared for sure. Um, I laid off a couple staff. Uh, or at least sort of told them, hey, you're probably getting laid off. And um, we were nervous for sure, as everybody was, and not sure what the heck was going on. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we came through it. And it, it, it was a hard time. In um, the, the main struggle during COVID was definitely the supply chain, right? It was almost impossible to get certain ingredients and like bottles. There was major bottle shortages. Um, paper was hard to get, so cardboard, right, for our boxes. And we're still dealing with a little bit of that today. It's it's getting, we're getting there, but um, it was definitely those supply chain issues. I remember we went, I think, two months or a month and a half with no bottles because our, our shipments were so delayed and we just, we had nothing to sell because we had, you know, we had everything else. We were ready to go, but no bottles. So, you know, you can't do much. So uh, that would have been the main struggle. But in terms of sales, it was... Um, it was a it was a good time for for the booze industry, <laughs> right? Tom, yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing we always have a, a, a drink, you know, in the you, uh, not every drink, but uh, here in our house, me and my partner, we we like uh, different kinds of spirits, and um, mm-hmm. 
I guess what I'm, what I'm, you know, I had a guest on uh, a few, few months, a couple months ago, and he produced a non-alcoholic drink. And, and, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. you hear like Generation Z there, they're maybe like even younger than the millennials. They maybe are, are a little bit more hesitant, you know, whatever they, there's mm-hmm. like more mm-hmm. non-alcoholic options, but, yeah. it, but at the same time, I, I agree that I think the COVID, you know, and, and just uh, a good social relaxant, you know, so where do you think like this, elements of, of, uh, generation Z or the different demographics that sort of, um, appeal mm-hmm. to your, your drinks versus, you know, where things are. Yeah. So, I mean, our, um, I think that non-alcoholic trend is, is here to stay for a, a bit anyways. And definitely, you know, we've, mm-hmm. we've taken notice, um, it would be very challenging for us to produce a non-alcoholic version of Tumblr and rocks. It is on our list of, of things to look into, but because we have no carbonation and no preservatives, that would make it really challenging for us, right? Like, it, you know, all of our all of our cocktails stay good on the shelf because they have at least 20% alcohol in them, they have sugar in them, and so that keeps them good, right? So because we produce still cocktails, meaning no carbonation, no canning, um, a non-alcoholic version would be tough for us. It is something we're, we're looking at, but it would be tough. Um, however, our brand, like our target market is definitely not, the young people um, are, you know, kind of our main demographic would be, you know, probably 35 to 55 is, is kind of the people that are buying our products, right? I mean, a Cosmo and an old fashioned isn't something that, you know, 18 year olds are drinking or 19 year olds if you're in Ontario, um, you know, so our demographic is definitely more the mature adult. And so the, the non-elk thing hasn't really affected us too much because it's just not our, our target market, right? If you were uh, a seltzer company making hard seltzers, then, you know, that is your target market, right? And so you see a lot of those guys coming out with non-alcoholic versions, non-alcoholic beers. Yeah. Uh, but again, that's that's not really our, our target market, right? We start focusing on on the 30-year-olds. and, and uh, yeah. Not that not the people in their 20s aren't buying our cocktails, uh, yeah. obviously, yeah. but it's just the, the majority of our customers are, are more of a mature adult right on. and this if you could share a bit more about the idea of the tumbler and rocks because i think you touched on it a moment ago too but i think it's brilliant the ready to go and sort of like these pre-mixes okay what was can you share about sort of how that the thinking or the spirit of that came about mm-hmm. because it, it's it's quite now that it's there it seems yeah great but obviously actually yeah. thought of it right <laughs> yeah. to have thought of it is is is, is great so yeah. So, um, so I guess it would have been in 2019, you know, I was looking at our sales and, and, um, they were growing, but not too fast. Right. And so I'm like, man, we, we really got to get into the ready to drink, ready to serve space. Right. I was jealous of breweries because you, you know, you, you buy your favorite six pack of beer, you drink it that weekend or that week and you buy another six pack, right. Versus a, a bottle of gin, you know, might sit on your shelf for six months for a year and then most people who are buying craft gin, you know, they don't just have one favorite gin. They've got 10 and they switch between them, right? So um, it's like, man, we really got to get into this ready to drink, single serving, you know, type of industry. And so I looked at the market and it seemed like most companies were doing a very similar product, you know, a canned cocktail, a hard seltzer, right. vodka soda, gin and tonic, right? And those are great, but there's a ton ton of them out there and a lot of huge companies doing it right yeah white claw new neutral high new right like yes, there's yes. some massive companies in that space and so um you know we were i was like okay what what else can we do and i thought okay like yeah, yeah what if what if we make big bottles of of mixed cocktails 
and then we can sell those to restaurants. And uh, so I started doing some research on that. And then, and then I found a, a small company in the U.S. doing 100 mil bottles of, of spirit forward cocktails. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is genius. And I did some research. There was nobody doing it in Canada and very few in the U.S. And I remember that that, that night I made the decision. I was like, this is our future. We're going to do these ready right. to serve yeah. cocktails. And, um, you know, my wife said, I just tossed and turned all night and you know, I was just <laughs> so excited. And then the next day I went into the distillery and I told my staff, I was like, we're switching directions. folks. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're in the cocktail business now. And, um, yeah, it was from that moment. I just, you know, I kind of hit on it and I was like, Hey, nobody's doing this in Canada. Um, in a single serve format. Anyways, there was a, yeah. you know, Wiser's has a 750 mil old fashioned, but, um, there was nobody else really doing it. And there was, like I said, a couple companies in the U S but not very many. And, and so I made the decision and said, Hey, this is what we're going after. And, um, yeah, it was super exciting. And we started working on it and, um, it was, it's, you know, it fit with everything we do here because we produce spirits, we have spirits, we have bottling machines. Not yet. If we had decided let's do hard seltzers, you know, now we're talking about getting a canning line, working with cans and preservatives and carbonation, all of which we're unfamiliar with. Whereas Tumblr and rocks, you know, we make cocktails, all day, every day. Now we're just putting them in a bottle, right? And so mm-hmm. it uh, it fit really well into our production. It's uh, you know the branding is great. It fills a need. Yes. You know, and being one of only a few companies doing it obviously is is helpful as well. There's definitely more competition now. Um, it's a pretty hot market. There's there's new competitors coming out all the time. But um, yeah, back when we started, we it was kind of white space, especially in Alberta, right? We were we were really the only option and. Um, Yes, that that definitely gave us a leg up, and uh, and yeah, it's it's been a whirlwind ever since. I love the matte finish too. I mean, just the little details about the design. Mm-hmm. I, when when I when you gave me some in uh, in uh, in Montreal, then I you know just uh, those little details. I think uh, at yeah. least I appreciate you know the 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 matte finish, and um you know I was the friend I was staying with in Montreal. I, I brought it back, so with that night that we the, the Friday yeah. that we went out, we we got we had some fuel for our evening. With, with some, yeah, perfect. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, the, the the people shop with their eyes, right? And yes, so yes, the colors you know, you are nice. Yeah. yeah, you can't just you can't just create a good tasting drink and throw it in a bottle and slap a label on it. Like you have to think about it, right? And that's yeah. honestly that's sort of how we judge new distilleries, right? So, like I said, it's in Alberta, it's a pretty straightforward process, and so new ones open all the time, and we kind of look at them and we can instantly tell like okay are these guys going to succeed or not because yeah. the ones that you know you can tell the ones that don't put any thought into the brand maybe they have a beautiful production facility and whatever but their bottles look terrible and it's like okay you know we, we don't really need to pay attention to those guys but then when somebody comes out with a beautiful bottle a good liquid those are the guys that we reach out to and, and build a relationship with and mm-hmm. um and that we kind of yeah respect as other as other good uh, distillery businesses because both matter right you got it's got to look yeah. good it's got to taste good obviously you can't you can't just have one it's, it's got to be a combo so nathan here speaking of that uh, how do you see because i saw on the website as well so the partnerships that you develop whether it's with culinary with the restaurants or entertainment because you know the spirit really it's a social it's a social lubricant it's, it's mm-hmm. a great way to help either to relax or you know like the, i think the way you you also show with tumblr and rocks you know when you're going out for for a walk or you know with friends or when you're out you know for for music or whatever mm-hmm. it is how do you see the the partnerships that you've developed as sort of part of uh, building your brand too yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, we, we we definitely wouldn't be where we are without yeah some of those partnerships that we've that we've made and where 
uh, you know, one of our values at the distillery is, um, is relationships. And we're, we try to have good relationships with our customers for sure, but, you know, everybody tries to do that. But also with our vendors, we, we want to, you know, we're kind of known as like a nice a nice company, right? Like if somebody ships us the wrong thing, we're not going to scream and yell at them, right? We're going to say, Hey, shipped us the wrong thing. Like when can we get the new product or whatever? Um, and then in terms of those partnerships, yeah, I mean, um, you know, some of them are, are sponsorship deals. So for example, the Edmonton Oilers, right? Um, oh, okay. Um, yeah. So the mountain pass whiskey is the official whiskey of the Edmonton Oilers. Wow. That's uh, a big deal. Yeah, served in Rogers Place, and and that that kind of move has been uh, some strategic marketing, right? So I think the the whole like Instagram and Facebook ads are are often overdone and maybe mm. not as valuable, but they're easy, right? So it's kind of what everybody does. It's like oh, I'll throw five hundred bucks into Instagram ads, right? What we would rather look for is is those partnerships, like the Oilers, or um, you know, we're a sponsor of the University of Alberta where we can sell product to them, but also use it as marketing, right? We have ads in Rogers Place here in Edmonton. So people see our brand, they get yeah. to taste it, yeah. right? And so we, um, that's definitely a big uh, switch in marketing direction for yes. us. You know, instead of just throwing up an Instagram ad, you know, we go and try to build these partnerships that are mutually beneficial, right? We either pay them or sell them alcohol or whatever, and then we get marketing in return. So yeah, that's, that's definitely been a key to our success for sure. I like that. That's new to me. So was that a, was that a quite a bit of work? I and mean, you're a, you're a charismatic guy. So maybe and imagine that that's a big a big uh, success that you got with the Edmonton yeah. Oilers and Rod. Yeah, that's it's good exposure, right? <laughs> huge, huge, huge exposure. Yeah, that that um that was actually that kind of deal was spearheaded by one of my business partners and. Uh, you know, when we were launching Mountain Pass, it's like, we should just go after like the biggest customer, we can find. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so we're like, well, who is that in Edmonton? We're like, Rogers Place. The so, Oilers. Yeah. yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> so we dropped, we dropped off a sample there and it happened to be right. So all of their, um, all of their products and stuff are under contracts and, you know, it's not like, you yes. just go and be like, you know, here's yeah. a bottle. Um, and so it happened to be at kind of contract renewal time. And so, we were part of, I believe, seven or eight different whiskeys they were looking at. And so we had a couple of meetings with them, did some tastings, and, and they went with us, which was uh, yeah, very exciting. And so, it, you know, deals like that, big big sponsorships and deals like that really kind of, um, you know, they bring our brand to a new level, yes, right? And then they yes. also provide, you know, validation to us that, hey, we've got a good product. We're, we're seen as a legitimate company, not some little, you know, back of the woods distillery right um mm-hmm. and you know we get marketing and yes yeah, uh, it, it was definitely a, a bit of a process thing it was like a six to eight month process of of kind of getting in there and yeah. becoming the, the whiskey of the Edmonton Oilers but super um, cool congratulations yeah, on that yeah. yeah thank you yeah but it's it's been very exciting for sure I don't know if you've seen the movie uh lost in translation it's Bill Murray and he goes to mm, Japan no. it's probably about 10 years ago but he yeah, goes yeah. to Japan and he gets a contract with a whiskey, a Japanese whiskey, and mm-hmm. uh, and then and then the guys who are taking the photographs like, don't speak English very well, and yeah, they're, yeah. they're just like. And then Bill Murray, you know, of course, the American actor, so he's drinking, and, and then yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I didn't understand what you said, and they're like, Roger Moore, Roger Moore, put me oh. up. and then they just, <laughs> he takes a. He takes a, a sip of the whiskey and then, you know, it's, it's adds up, but you know, maybe you need, yeah, Gretz, yeah. maybe you need Gretzky trying your, yeah. <laughs> well, Gretzky, Gretzky already has his own distillery. So oh, we got, okay, maybe, yeah. maybe McDavid. McDavid or something like, <laughs> yeah. like that. Right. On. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, 
So what what do you see as okay? So you know, uh, ready to go, um, spear forward. What are other trends that you find really interesting in the world of spirits and, and beverage alcohol? Like, where do you see the next half decade in in, mm-hmm. in the world of spirits and and uh, you know, there's all these amazing competitions internationally, right? Like in San Francisco mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, there's all these different worlds you guys have. I think you've had, uh, you know, the rums, the gins, the whiskeys, these, these, um, these ready to go cocktails. Yeah. A little bit on where you see the crystal ball mm-hmm. in the future of experience. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the, I mean, one of the big trends is, is definitely premiumization, right? And so people are drinking less and drinking better. Right. And I think that's a, a, a great thing, right? I mean, um, talking to to my parents, their generation, it was sort of just like, let's get the cheapest shit we can find and get drunk, right? Like that. <laughs> and now, you know, my my generation and the younger generations and, and those generations too now are changing. And it's more, hey, like, let's just have a cocktail or two with our friends and play a board game, right? Like yeah. that's, you know, it, it used to be all about clubbing and, and drinking a ton. And now definitely the trend has shifted more towards, hey, let's try this expensive new mezcal. And, you know, while we, while we cook together or play a board game or whatever. And I think it's, it's great. Right. And so sort of that premiumization of, of drinking better quality drinks, they're more expensive, but you drink less of them. Yeah. And then also sort of a lot of the kind of the new spirits, they're, they're, they're old, but they're becoming new again. So like Mezcal, um, you know, is is sort of like tequila, but it's, it's super hot right now, you know, tequila itself used to be oh tequila right like you just do shots to get wasted and now it's like no no let's you know let's buy a 200 dollars bottle and and you know compare it to other bottles right yeah. so that's definitely i think where the industry is going and so you know we keep that in mind with our branding and, and using high quality products and our marketing right like we're not out here trying to get people trashed right we're out here to give somebody a, a, a great old-fashioned at the end of the day while they you know, watch a movie with their spouse or have a friend over or whatever. Yeah. Right. And so that I think is, is going to be the next, yeah, five, 10 years for sure. And hopefully longer. And, and that's where we're headed as well. My friends tease me. They have, they have another meaning for old fashioned, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so maybe my last, my last question to Nathan, and thank you so much. I'll add some mm-hmm. show notes from what we chatted about. What's the future for, for the Fort distillery? What What's the next mm-hmm. little, what do you guys want to do in the next yeah. little few years? Yeah. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, we're going to continue to grow our brands across the U.S. That's a, a huge focus for us, um, you know, growing our current sales in, in Canada and the U.S. as well and, uh, and getting into some new states. We, uh, we've we started working with an airline here in Canada, Porter Airlines. Yeah, and so right um, they have our Tumblr and Rocks on the planes. And so, you know, going wow. after some, some of those bigger deals, right, um, airlines and maybe cruise ships. Uh, but we, we want to be a global brand, right? And so we're growing Tumblr and Rocks across North America, Mountain Pass Whiskey as well. And hopefully, you know, eventually we can be big enough to get into some of the other provinces and, and you can buy Tumblr and Rocks in Ontario. That's that's the goal. Right. Uh, well, thank you uh, uh, very much, Nathan, for the time. So I'm sure that the listeners will enjoy it. And uh, I'll add the show notes. So, uh, yeah, cheers. Yeah, it was great chatting with you, Mark. Thanks so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it.